Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast with me, Ian Luke Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community, and today's guest is the inspirational James Fennell. Now, let me just get real with you for a second. Normally, when you listen to the podcast, if I've done an interview and there's pauses while people take a moment to think about what they want to say, I generally edit a lot of those gaps out or at least make the gaps a little bit shorter. But in today's episode of the podcast, we talk about autism and James is an autistic improviser and you know, we specifically wanted to really shine a light on autism and give people a better understanding of you know what people with autism and with anything similar go through when they are improvising or just in life. So it didn't seem right for me to go through this interview and edit things out. So for that reason, yes, there are some pauses known as dead air in the industry, I think, which I normally would perhaps have gone through and perhaps shortened or edited out uh, large, large gaps. I haven't done that out of respect for James and everything we spoke about. And I hope that you appreciate the reasons that I've done that. And I hope that you uh, enjoy the interview in its original glory without any of the silences being taken out. So just wanted to explain that because it is important and it's really important, I think, with this focus on autism today, that if this has opened your eyes, perhaps go out there and do a bit more research and, and find out all of the different elements that could be on the autism spectrum. And th there's a moment here where James specifically speaks about how eye-opening it was for him when he heard a diagnosis of a family member and he thought, oh, that's like me. And then he decided to get himself checked out. Perhaps this will help you to go and seek some advice yourself perhaps this will help you to better understand others and perhaps you are already very understanding but hopefully you'll enjoy hearing what improv is like from the point of view of somebody with autism this podcast is available on apple podcasts spotify iHeartRadio, stitcher and wherever else you get your podcasts if you're listening on apple podcasts please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there now it's time to go off script and find out James's true story about making stuff up. And please welcome to the show. It's this week's guest. He's an autistic improviser, a member of Glossop Improv, and someone that's been dipping his toes into the LCI pond. Please welcome James. Hello. James, great to have you. For those that uh, don't know James, he is a funny guy. He loves one-liners and puns just like myself. And I have had the pleasure of uh, playing many hilarious scenes with him, uh, mostly at Glossop Improv. But you, I know you have been trying to get involved in things outside of Glossop Improv, so I'm looking forward to talking to you about that. But mostly, just thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to talk to you first, as I always like to start these things, just by finding out what is your improv story? How did you get into improv comedy? Well, it, it sort of came along when I needed it, really. Um, 
when I when Glossop Improv was being set up, uh, I was in a, a theatre group that was in the process of shutting down. Right. And along with a lot of other changes that were happening in my life at that point, um, which being autistic is difficult to deal with. Um, so, so it was having quite a sort of damaging effect on my mental health. Okay. Um, I just thought I need, I need to, um, I need a new group, basically. Right. And I saw Seki had um, posted about setting an improv group up. Yeah. And well, I asked her if I could, if we could go along together, because another thing I struggle with is start joining new groups. Okay. Um. So yeah, we went along and. Uh, yeah, that was the start of it. So you were in that theatre group. How mm. long had you been in that theatre group? Uh, oh, five or six years, I think. So it, it was quite a big part of uh, my week. Right. So had um, had um, performing had performing always been a big part of your life? Um, I've done bits. Um. Being part of uh, a, a church-run drama group when I was at school, right. and then um, this other uh, theatre group just before I got spin pro. So I'd done bits, never like never anything I'd had to audition for. We just used what we'd got, basically. And you've mentioned that you're an autistic mm. improviser. I know the autism spectrum is rather vast and you can't just say someone is autistic and and expect them to be like another autistic person that you've yeah. met because as i say the spectrum's uh, very wide and there's lots of people on different parts of the spectrum so would you like to talk us through a little bit about how autism affects you yeah um i'm very um well routine is quite a big part of um how I cope with things. So when things change, like that drama group, okay, and um, shutting down, it um, it's it's not easy to deal with. Um, which, to be honest, has made the last sort of eighteen months or so even harder to deal with. You know, right. with all the um, uh, changes to rules and lockdowns and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm very. Um, I'm sensitive to sort of bright lights and background noise. Okay. Um, yeah, um, I'm I'm still sort of discovering things about how it affects me. I'm discovering that all the time because um, I was only actually diagnosed about a year ago. Oh, so you were diagnosed during the pandemic? Yeah. Or, yeah. Wow. So when we first went into lockdown, then. How did you how did you feel? Because you know that was a massive change for everyone. Yeah, uh, it was hard. Um, I was doing a um, a TA placement in a school just up the road. Right. Um, so that was another routine I got myself into. That went. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because everything stopped, didn't it? it was, oh, yeah, just <laughs> stopped dead. 
yeah, we're both football fans. There was, there was none of that to watch even. So, no. Um, to help get us through it. Um, then it, it wasn't that long into the first lockdown, I think, that Gossip Pro went online. Yeah. Um, which helps sort of give me something back at least. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's great as well because in person, yes, you had a great little group of mm. in-person uh, regulars that would come to Class of Improv. But one of the many great things that's come out of the the pandemic is Glossop Improv has really swelled and there's people that join Glossop Improv from all over yeah, the world. <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're one of the OGs, the originals, and you've been there from the start. So how does it feel to, to see your little improv community growing the way it's grown? It's... It's been it's pretty amazing to think about. Um, we did a, a the online workshop we did with were you there with Carla Dingle? Yes, I was there. Yeah, where she talked about um, gospel improv being sort of known all over the world now. Yeah, and I just think we're a little mill town near Manchester. Like, not many people know us. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. And for someone that said that you like, you like routine, you don't like change and you like to be in comfortable environments. I know that you've, you have fairly recently been to some of the LCI online drop-ins. How was that to go from this comfortable online environment that you've got used to, to then sort of pluck up the courage to think, yeah, I'm actually going to go and try something else. What was that like? Um, that was difficult. I kind of, I kind of shot myself in the foot with that a little bit because um, when I started with Glossop Improv, yeah, I went with Seki, who I knew. Okay. Um, and I kind of, I didn't do that with um, LCI. All right. Um, I kind of planned it that in my head without telling anyone that you know people I knew were gonna be there, you'd be there, Jojo, Sam, Sec, you'd be there. Right. I'd come on and be like, Yeah, you did this here. Um, <laughs> and that just didn't happen. Okay. So I'm on this Zoom meeting with a lot of people I don't know. I'm thinking, oh no, this is backfired. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so did you get through that first session okay? Um I just sat and watched a lot of it. Okay. Um I was sat on um, the gossip, gossip improv WhatsApp going, um, so if I do this again, does anyone want to come with me? <laughs> and uh, Jojo and Sam did the next week. Oh, awesome. So then that next week, were you able to get involved a bit more? Yeah. And um, I think... I can't remember a lot of what we did, but yeah, I did <laughs> get involved. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the great things about sort of you know, our little improv universe is, you know, you came from Glossop Improv, I came from Liverpool Comedy Improv, but we've, we've in many ways merged and there's many mm. regulars of Liverpool Comedy Improv that come to Glossop and vice versa. And, you know, it's just, there's different days and different days work for different people. And some people want it all the time and some people want it just here and there. And it's great. Mm. You can just dip in, dip out. 
And it's it's great because, you know, if you're if you're with LCI, you've got Emma running things and you know, she's got her awesome ways. And then if you're at Glossop, you've got Jess and Seki with their awesome ways. And then, you know, I've attended a class that you did, then that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I have I have run a couple of classes and it's it's nervy. So in your position and with with everything you've told us about, what is what is going through your head when you're actually going into not just an improv session online, but a session that you're running? Um, I I get anxious that I haven't sort of I haven't planned enough. Right. I haven't. Um. Um. Yeah, that I haven't planned enough. I haven't got enough games ready or activities, mm. or I haven't sort of explain the game well enough so <laughs> quite often uh, if Jess or Seki are there be like have I missed anything out here <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, I was going to say something else and I've forgotten it <laughs> that's okay it happens to me all the time brain fog um, so, in fact, I've just had brain fog. Let's talk about brain fog because I know <laughs> brain fog is something that you're involved in a little community, a brain fog community that yeah. Jess has started online. Um, let's just give that a bit of airtime and speak about what is uh, what is brain fog. Uh, for me, um, it's when my brain gets it gets sort of overworked and it can't cope. It, okay sort of shuts down and I have to just back off from things. Um, tends to happen when I'm feeling anxious. Okay. Um, um, kind of like now. Uh, <laughs> um, you'll, you'll, you'll notice it at Gossip Improv because I'll turn my camera off. Yeah. Um, I get like, like, like I've been doing now, so, um, 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 right. and just not be able to get things out. Um, and yeah, that's sort of how it affects me. And it, um, it, oh, uh, <laughs> so this, this is, you could recall this the brain fog podcast. Um, <laughs> So what I like about what you said when you you started to talk about brain fog was you said, for me, this is what it is, because mm. it is an individual thing to everyone. Yeah. It, it's something that affects everyone differently. And there's no sort of one hat fits all sort of way to explain it. Mm, yeah, completely. It's, it's, it's not just autistic people who get brain fog, you know, and um, yeah. I think everyone does at some point. Oh, totally. I've had it many um, times myself. Yeah. And like you said about the autistic spectrum being massive, there's a massive range of uh, effects and uh, ways people experience it. Yeah. And with online improv, you've said that sometimes you just switch your camera off. In real life in in-person improv if you have a, a similar feeling how how do you deal with it in real life because you can't just turn your camera off there no um 
I was quite lucky um, when we were in uh, when we were in person. I didn't. It didn't happen that often, sort of in scenes. But if it happened outside of scenes, like just in the uh, before the start of a game, say, right. um, I'd Jess would be perfectly fine with just sitting out. And I think what she did really well with um, in-person stuff was say, "Look, if you don't feel comfortable, just feel free to sit out." But she made she made it safe from the start to do that. Yeah, and I think you know I, I've. I've not had a lot of experience of in-person improv, but the the experiences I have had, you know, it has been very much along those lines and all the boundaries are spoken about at the start. And, you know, people know that it's fine. If, if you don't want to do something, you don't have to do it. Yeah. And I think that's what's great about improv and the fact that, you know, you don't turn up to an improv session knowing what's going to happen you don't know what's going to trigger you like if you're going to go to other acting classes you generally sort of know what you're going to be working on if you're going to go and play a sport you know i'm going to play this sport because people are just thinking fast on the spot you don't know what's going to be said yeah absolutely um another thing about my autism is i use scripting a lot to cope which i try and sort of predict Okay. Uh, different situations and conversations that might come up, and um, plan sort of what I might say in that situation. Okay. Which is which makes improv difficult at times. <laughs> but this is interesting though because you are actually very witty and you're very good with one-liners and puns. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll go to a session where you may have had your camera off for pretty much the whole session, but then like a quick one-liner game comes on and you just appear and you've got like mm. loads of great one-liners coming out of you. So is that just the way that your braid is, is tuned slightly? It's just tuned to those quick one-liners? I think it, I think it must be. Um, I've watched a lot of um, a lot of the two Ronnie's sketches. Okay. All of that kind of... Yeah, yeah. Um, Particularly Ronnie Barker stuff, full of um, sort of the quick wit stuff and the, you know, like you say, the one liners and the puns. So I think I think I've just got a bank of them. <laughs> yeah, and then you just your brain says, "Oh, I, I've I've heard of that object before, and I've I've hmm. got this little list of things that could say," and then it just goes, oh, "I'll choose that one." A bit like that. Yeah. Um, I couldn't give you an example right now, but yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) And you mentioned that you're a TA in a school. So I just want to talk to you about that a little bit. I'm Mm -hmm. a teacher, so I spend a lot of time in school. Do you find that improv has a positive impact on you and your place of work? Um, I've I've not been in school for a while because I I was um, a TA student. Uh, Okay. So with... um, with the lockdowns, placements have been uh. disrupted and everything like that. So, um, but from the September to the March, when um, the first lockdown happened, yeah, um, I started in the September, and obviously the lockdown started in March. Um, I think, yeah, it's helped my confidence a lot in uh, sort of being able to deal with situations that come up because as you know in schools yes um 
you know, <laughs> nothing's ever predictable, is it really? <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I was uh, I was a TA myself for around about nine years before I was actually a teacher. I did various jobs, and even in that role, it, you know, it's it's high pressure, and you having to think very fast. They say that teachers make more decisions in a minute than a brain surgeon has to mm. during surgery, and yeah, even as a TA, you are faced with situations every single day. You you're faced with new situations. Even though you've got your routine that you that you enjoy, yeah. it, it it's very hard to have a day exactly the same as mm. the day before. Yeah, and it's made it difficult in a couple of situations with children who haven't necessarily wanted to do what they're told. Yes, um, <laughs> I remember uh, one girl trying to take a book outside with her. Right. But what I didn't know was a book she'd brought in. Okay. And I kind of got stuck in a loop of, give me the book. No, give me the book. No, give me the book. No. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Th- things like that can be challenging. Yeah. So what age group were you working with at the time? Uh, year fours. So ah, okay. that, eight-year-olds, eight, nine-year-olds? Yeah. Which is generally, uh, it is a fun year group. Hmm. Um. So how how did that resolve itself, that situation? Um, she, she ran outside with the book. I followed her. There's a teacher um, outside. And the teacher just said, no, it's her book. It's fine. If I'd have asked her, all right, is it, is it your book? Yeah. That, that situation would have been resolved like that. Okay. Um, but my brain just didn't. It just didn't bend that way. And, you know, it is a difficult thing. Like working in a school, most people think that they can teach because they've been to school. But it's really not the case. Like you definitely, whether you're teaching, whether you're a TA, you know, whether you're a lunchtime supervisor, you have to have something in you that makes you want to be there. Because it's yeah. not it's not a job that you can just phone in. You, you can't just think, yeah, I know a lot about this particular subject, so I'm going to go and teach it. You really have to understand that working with children is not like working with adults. And mm-hmm. even if you think that you've given the clearest instructions about something, someone will have misunderstood and done something completely different. And everything that you say, you have to be really careful because, mm-hmm. you, especially with the younger children uh, in primary school, because everything that you say you are sinks in. yeah it sinks in you are shaping them so and, and i i tell jokes constantly mm-hmm. and that, that means that i like a lot of the time when i'm teaching i'm telling jokes about things and sometimes it's it's jokes that come out as as facts they're not really facts so i always have to make sure like once once i've some once something's come out of my mouth and I know it's a joke and I think, oh yeah, maybe two of the children got that. I then have to sort yeah. of give a disclaimer. That was me making a joke that isn't actually true <laughs> <laughs> because I don't want him to go away thinking all of these random uh, sort of comedic facts that I make up yeah. are actually the truth. <laughs> um, but I think what's really interesting as well is being a male in a school. Mm. Because, you know, in a primary school in particular, males are few and far between. Yeah. And a particularly a teaching assistant that is a male. Mm-hmm. So what 
what were your experiences of being a male in, in a school environment? Um, I didn't really know what to expect on that front going in. Yeah. I didn't have any sort of preconceived ideas of what it would be like. Um, uh, I found um, a, couple, a couple of the boys in particular right. were like sort of responded better to men than women. Okay. Um, but uh, other than that, I don't think I had much of a different experience to to any other TA. I think. Okay. And just with being a TA, you know, I, I was a TA. I've known lots of TAs over the years. I work with lots now. There isn't a single TA I've ever met that's got the same story of how they became a TA. So how did you actually become a TA initially? Um, I thought I wanted to get into teaching. Okay. And um, I already had a degree, um, but it wasn't high enough. So, okay. so it was a third, and most of the time you need at least a two-two or a two-one to right. get onto yeah. a teaching course. So I thought, right, I'll go through, um, you know, level two TA, level three TA qualifications, yeah. up through it. So um, I found a course at the Gloucester Paddle Education Centre. Okay. And uh, which I could get, um, I could get free because I was on a universal credit. Oh, cool. So, uh, yeah, signed up for that and got my placement sorted out a couple of weeks later and was in school three days a week. Awesome. So all of this happened whilst you had autism, but you didn't know you had autism. Yeah. So how did you how did you finally get that diagnosis? Um, well, both my sisters were actually diagnosed before I was. Right. Um, and my sister, uh, the youngest one, was in school when she got hers, and I'm so similar to her right. <laughs> in a lot of ways that um, it just seemed like, you know, it was obvious, really, that, yeah, I probably do have autism, probably am autistic, <laughs> I should probably get this looked at. Right. So um, I went to the GP and uh, sort of explained why I thought I was autistic. Um, they agreed to put a referral in, which got lost. Right. Um, so what I did was I, had, I, I printed a copy of the referral form off blank and took it to... Um, a support worker I was I was working with at the time. Okay. To help me fill it in and send it off and all that. Great. That was about two, two and a half years ago. Okay. So it takes a while for them to come it takes through. A while. Oh it does. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm in a school environment and I know that getting referrals for anything is is like trying to draw blood from a stone because mm -hmm. There's lots of paperwork involved and people don't want to have to do the paperwork. And um, yeah, it is not an easy process to no. get an actual uh, referral and then to get the referral actually 
sort of listened to. Yeah. But I, people think they're putting things in place, um, like like referrals and diagnoses to make it. They think it makes it easier, but when you're waiting for it, yeah. I found anyway. I mean, I was in this sort of like no man's land of being able to say, well, I'm almost certain I'm autistic, right. but no one's told me yet. And so, does it actually feel good to be able to say I'm autistic and and sort of that explains that, or is it really no different? Um, depends where I am. Um, I, I find I can say it with like people I do improv with because yeah. I find they they're more sort of accepting and understanding of it. Yeah. But um, sharing it, I found particularly um, I play cricket. Okay. And it's quite a sort of competitive environment where right. um, sort of admitting anything like that isn't, it, it's not easy. Um, but what I've started doing the last few weeks is okay. um, I've got uh, one of these sunflower lanyards, which yeah. says it says it on it. I'm autistic. Okay. I've I've had it in my bag uh, when I've gone down to the game. But once it's finished, I put it on afterwards. Right. Um. No one's said anything yet, but I've seen people um, sort of sort of looking at it. I was kind of hoping when I start doing that, I'd start conversations, but it hasn't yet. Okay. But if people are looking at it, at least they're taking it in. It could be a case of, you know, some people, they think it's rude to talk about such things, don't they? Yeah. Like, you know, they don't know what to ask. Or like, Yeah. Yeah. I, I did mention it to one guy who asked, um, something about how I'd been recently. Okay. And I mentioned, like I said, I'm, I'm autistic and uh, all the changes and things haven't helped. And he, the first thing he said was, I think everyone's got it a little bit. All right. <laughs> which, is, which is quite a common one, but yeah. not helpful. I think OCD is another one that gets that a lot. You know, oh, mm. everyone's got a bit of OCD, but, you know, for the people yeah. that suffer, like, seriously with that, you know, it, it doesn't help them to hear that everyone's got a little bit of OCD. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I can I can see how there would be a certain level of frustration of that sort of blasé approach. Oh, everyone's got a bit of that. Yeah. And... I almost, I, d I didn't want to agree with him, but I kind of went, yeah. I, I couldn't bring myself to say, no, look, it's. Yeah, yeah, it, it's tough yeah. to to people that don't have a particular issue, whether it's a, a mental thing, whether it's a physical thing, it's very hard for people to understand what it's like to have that thing. Mm. And there are some people that don't, and they are very empathetic. And there are some people that it's just 
it it means nothing to them because mm. it's not on their radar. Yeah. They know a word. They may know the word autism. They you know they may know OCD or anything else. Mm. And that little thing they've that seen, they know about seen it. Rain Man, they know what it is. Yeah, they've seen it in a film, in a TV show, and they've seen one particular trait, and they think, oh, I, I, I've seen that, so I can talk about that. It's like teaching. Oh, I've been to a school, so I can teach. It's, mm. the, it's the same thing. You know, I've been into a butcher's, but never once have I ever thought, oh, I can butch. I don't know if it's called butching. Yeah. I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> actually, that might be something. <laughs> that, that sounds like some kind of club, actually. <laughs> We won't go into that. <laughs> so let's just go back to improv for a second. So you said that improv has had this positive impact in your life and you do a lot of short form. How do you yeah. feel about longer form where you need a bit more memory to remember things that have been said? There's something about long, long form that I find quite intimidating when I think about doing it. Okay. I think it is that, that you need to, you need more memory. You need to sort of keep it going longer. Yeah. Um, I think Jess is planning on sort of introducing more long form stuff to Wasp Improv. Yeah. Which I think is, is going to be a good thing, but it's just nerve wracking to think about. Um, I mean, I admire people who do long form. Like, <laughs> I think it's great, but the thought of actually doing it is uh, it's nerve-wracking. I think what I've learned, whether you're doing short form or whether you're doing long form, it's really just training muscles to act in a certain way. It's like puns, like because people talk to me about puns a lot because I love puns, and it's funny because you know I've been with Seki for quite a while now, and Seki now puns a lot more than she used to pun and that's because she spends a lot of time with me and i am always saying this stuff and now mm. she's it's trained her muscles a bit and people that have worked in my classroom tas that i've had over the years have commented at the end of the year like oh i wouldn't have said like that little funny pun like at the start mm. of the year and it's the same with long form like the more you're doing it the more your brain is just attuned to it and yeah i think with time your brain just gets more comfortable with it. Yeah, I can say that. Um, it's like, it's not like the alphabet game, you know, and people. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, well, I was going somewhere with that, but I can't remember. <laughs> it's fine. You were probably going to Z. That's where the alphabet normally goes. Yeah, yeah normal. <laughs> um, funny enough, I was actually going to move from that question to something else, and now that's gone out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I can't think. Uh, let's back to improv and short form, long form. I'm hoping that if I say these words, what I was going to say will come back to me, but it actually isn't coming back to me. So I'll just talk about something else. Uh, with improv... What games do you play that are really games that you think, yeah, this is the game for me? And what games do you think, uh, this game is not for me? Mm. Um, I like, well, I mentioned Alphabet. Yeah. I like that game. Um, I think 
Because it's got a set order, like A, B, C. Okay, yeah. Three to Z. And uh, I think people have told me I've come across as being really sharp in that game. But in my head, I'm like, oh, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's what next? <laughs> think some say, think some say. Sort of like, um, you know, it's like a swan on top of the water. Looks serene, but underneath ah. it's going until <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> um. And things like, uh, we we played it last night. One word expert. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you've got. You've not got much to think about. It's just one word to carry on. Yeah. Yeah. And how long were you doing improv before you realised that you didn't actually have to be funny all the time? Ah. I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, I don't. I don't think I've ever sort of tried to be the one that sort of you know constantly getting the funny line. Yeah. Um. I mean, some people might correct me on that. I don't know, but. Um, <laughs> I don't remember ever really being, oh, I've got to be funny, I've got to be funny, I've got to be funny. Oh, well, that's good. Because uh, I asked that because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people's journey into improv starts from whose line is it anyway, where yeah. pretty much everything that they say is funny. Mm -hmm. Even when they're setting each other up for the, for the big laugh, they're still being funny themselves. And for me, that was, you know, I thought improv you know it's got comedy in the name i thought oh, it's, it's yeah. improv comedy i have to be funny but i learned very quickly that oh no i don't even i don't have to be funny mm. and one thing i definitely don't have to do is try you don't you don't have to try because if you force it people people really pick up on that and if you just let yeah. it naturally flow then uh you know people are far more appreciative of, of whatever you come up with yeah absolutely i mean um you mentioned whose line yeah. I watched a lot of Who's Line. <laughs> um, uh, particularly looking at uh, Colin Mockery. Yes. Who, again, is a lot of one-liners and puns. Yeah. Um, but I mentioned the two Ronnies earlier. Yeah. Um, a lot of it works because one's playing the straight man and one's playing the funny man. Yeah, totally. Um. Usually Ronnie Corbett playing the straight man. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing about improv comedy that I quite like is if you are just a comedian, you know, you work on that routine and you might tour it for a year or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, then you can't make those jokes again because you've made those jokes before. But with, imp with improv, we don't really remember the jokes we've made in the first place. No. So we may well repeat jokes because one-liners and puns it depends on what the the object is or what the situation is that you, that your brain is making a joke about and you know we probably repeat ourselves over and over again but it's fine because no one remembered what we said specifically when we said it last time and often there's different people we're playing with or a different audience so there's no pressure to ever really think about what we say as long as people are enjoying it in the moment mm. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, like you say, not trying to force it, 
Yeah. The audience pick up on that, and I think if they see you're relaxed, they'll relax and um, sort of enjoy it a lot more themselves. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think improv, for people in the improv community, you know, I've had so many great chats with people on this podcast and they've said how much it helps them. But I think, you know, there are so many people that just don't understand improv. Mm. And it, and these could be people that I've seen who's lying. Uh, I, I had a conversation very recently with um, another teacher that I work with and she she said, oh, I was thinking of you, Mr. Jones, last night because I watched an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Mm-hmm. And then she was like, she said, and you do that, don't you? I said, yeah, I, I, I do. I do improv comedy. And then she was like, but come on, be honest. It's not all made up, is it? Like, you've got to know things in advance. And I was like, no, seriously, it's made up mm-hmm. on the spot. You don't know anything beforehand. Yeah, you can know you can know how the games work. Yeah. But the scenes within the games themselves are always unique. Totally. Because even if you think, oh, yeah, this is my scene, even if your brain says, oh, well, this is where this scene's going to go, you may you go into the scene and someone else says something completely different and then the scene goes off in a different direction. So you can't even, in that brief moment, you can't even really plan where the scene's going to go because yeah. it's just your one brain, but you're trying to have a collective brain with the people in the scene. So living in the moment, it, it's it's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Um, and you mentioned the uh, sort of different types of improv. Yeah. Um, there's one thing that doing online stuff has really opened up to me. You know, we've we've started doing gloss improv and friends. Yeah. Um, some of the some of the stuff the other groups have seen have brought. Yeah. Um, that we performed with. I never even sort of thought that existed yeah yeah <laughs> until i saw them do it yeah like there's all sorts the groups that we've had the pleasure of seeing and working with like my mind has been blown because f- for me whose lines anyway was improv for such a long yeah. time and then in a very quick space of time i learned that there was long form and there's a lot more to it and then, as you say, through these live shows, I'm like, wow, long form in itself is it's not just one thing. There's so many different mm. types of long form, like there's so many different types of short form, and it's just so vast. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, improv comedy is very niche in itself, and all of the yeah. little branches in it are, are even more niche, but there's, there truly is something for everyone. And I think that's what makes running something like an LCI drop-in or a Glossop drop-in so hard because there's people coming from all these little niche mm-hmm. uh, branches of the communities and you're trying to deliver a session. Often often in a class, you've got someone that's it's their very first time. You've got someone that's been doing it for years. You've got some people that only know short form. You've got some people that only do long form and trying to like create a class where everyone can get involved. Uh, you know, that takes some doing to do that regularly. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I did the, um, neurodiversity panel. It's, um, yeah, everyone gets in here. Everyone get in here festival. Yeah. And, 
I was on there with people who'd been doing improv for years, and <laughs> there am I, like, A, newly diagnosed, and B, only doing improv for, like, two years. <laughs> like, what am I doing here? I remember when I first saw the advert for that, and I was like, wow, go James, that's awesome, because you were with, as you say, some like some big hitters from the improv yeah. world, and, and and I was like, ah, oh, it's James, like James from Friday nights, he's just there, like chatting up among the big, the big wigs. Mm. <laughs> um, so I've just seen the time, so we're going to start bringing this to an end. Can I just say thank you so much? It's been really great to chat to you, and thank you so much for just being so open and honest about your autism, because people need to hear this yeah I, I i try to be as open as i can about stuff like that it's not for that reason you know um if someone's heard that and thought hmm, and it's such um flakes a switch in the head that they thought hang on that sounds like me then yeah. brilliant yeah awesome and something else it might do is as well as thinking oh that's like me they may think oh actually that's like so-and-so maybe they work with them maybe they're in their family and perhaps they've they've struggled to understand them in in the past and they might think oh actually yeah i maybe i just need to open my mind a bit more and and be more understanding of those around me yeah <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> but i think i think whatever anyone is going through whether people have got diagnosis for anything or, or whatever, I think everyone is always going through something. Everyone's always going through some kind of personal challenge, no matter how well they present themselves or, or whatever you may think about their life. Like you don't know what someone is going through. And no. uh, I think, I think people are always trying to just struggle through something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've seen I've seen, a, I've seen this quote a few times. Um, we're all in the same storm, but some of us have got you know yachts, and others are on a raft. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good quote. <laughs> and we're all just we're all just muddling through as best we can. Yeah. Uh, so just before we finish, I want to give you an opportunity to let people know where they can find you online or to improvise with. Um, I tend to just keep it to gossip improv mainly. So Friday nights, we've, we've just finished for the summer, actually. Um, but yeah, starting from September again, uh, Friday nights from seven till half eight. At gossip awesome. Improv. Awesome. So yeah, uh, if people want to check out James and hear some of his great one-liners, then you can find him, as he said, at Glossop Improv when their new season starts in September. Uh, so thank you very much, James. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks, Ian. Well, thank you so much to James for coming on the show today and giving the spotlight to autism. Whether you knew about autism before or knew a little bit about it or didn't know anything about it, hopefully you have found today's chat with James really insightful, really eye-opening and just a great listen. For James to come on and say everything that he said has really given me food for thought and I hope it's given you food for thought. And moving forwards, I hope you all feel that you understand 
the struggles that some people may be going through in an improv session or just in life in a way that you didn't understand before you listened to this chat. So thank you very much to James. It really was a pleasure to give you this platform to have your story heard today. Now, if you're interested in getting into improv or already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene, then all the info you need can be found at www.liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk. You can also check us out on Facebook by searching for Liverpool Comedy Improv and on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Live Comedy Improv. We also have a Facebook page. Just search for the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast on Facebook and you'll find everything you need to do with the show on there if you are a member of the lci community and you'd like to be a guest on the show then please get in touch with me or with emma bird and we will make arrangements as soon as possible especially if you've got something specific that you want to talk about like today james came on and he put the spotlight on autism perhaps there's something that you can come on and put the spotlight on and together we can help to enlighten everybody in the community that listens to the show don't forget if you are listening on apple podcasts then giving us a five-star rating and a review will really help to boost the show and get the show out there and if you're interested in me you can find me on facebook twitter instagram and youtube just search for ian luke jones or at ian luke jones on the ones that use the at and on my youtube channel in particular you'll find all sorts of videos on there and in particular there's lots of improv for you to check out if you're interested in seeing me as an improv online performer Before I go, here are some words that are wise, wise, wise. Always remember, whatever the situation, to treat life like improv and yes and.